You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 251 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. What's happening, Al? That's not what you're supposed to say. I know. I thought I'd just, like, throw you off this time. Are you, mi- are you mixing it up? Are you? I'm mixing it up, <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I'm picking up what you're throwing down, and I'm totally fine. Thanks, Val. How are I'm you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm well, thank you. All is well in the world. I'm glad the weather is getting warmer. Spring has sprung and we're going to be, we're just round the corner for summer, for summer in this country. And um, Val, like stop. No, seriously, yeah. like you, no, just, you've, by throwing yourself out of how are you, Al, we've gone into yeah. small talk, Val. We do, <laughs> is this, so you want to be a small talker? <laughs> no, I, that wasn't my intention at all. No, 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 no. All, all is well in the land of Val and Al, it seems. Um, but I believe you have a shout out for us. <laughs> Why are you laughing? What's funny? I don't know. I just feel like we've kind of you've kind of lobbed us into dignified presenter mode, and it's not working for us. But anyway, <laughs> let's give it a whirl, shall we? Okay. Well, Valerie, I do have a shout out, and it's a it's a shout out to Natalie Hodgkin, and I would like to shout out to Natalie as the most persistent attempted reviewer that we've ever had, because Natalie uh, put a post in the Facebook uh, po- in the podcast Facebook group about how she had been trying to put a review for us on the uh, on iTunes for the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast, and she's on Android and she'd struggled and it was very difficult. So she was asking for tips, and then there were about twenty people that came back, including our fantastic team manager operations person uh, Ra who is just the girl of all things, and mm. she we've you know there was a lot of discussion and then. Finally, Triumph, Natalie posted on Facebook that she had managed to leave a review uh, by submitting it through Stitcher. So a big shout out to Natalie and I am now going to read her review um, because she went to so much effort to put it there, I feel we should give it the absolute attention it deserves. So it is five stars and it is titled, So Now I Want to Be a Writer. And this is Natalie speaking, not me, okay, because I've heard mm-hmm. it. I have heard So You Want to Be a Writer several times. Okay. <laughs> I somehow stumbled across Val and Al's podcast a couple of months back with no notion that I wanted to be a writer. I listened anyway and became enthralled by the entertaining and insightful discussions, so much so that I now find myself through almost the entire back catalogue and 7,000 words into a children's novel. My first attempt at writing fiction since high school, we're talking 20 years. Val and Al's passion and encouragement to new writers has fueled a spark that's lit me right up. Not only have I realised that I do, in fact, want to be a writer, but I am finding so much joy in the process, listening and learning and having a go. Thank you, Val and Al, for your ongoing inspiration. Your podcast rocks. Hashtag now to try Bonoffi. So, Natalie, I'll just (laughs) – we give you a huge cheer and congratulations on all of the things from managing to actually submit the review to starting your writing journey, getting your 7,000 words done. And you know what? Thank you so much and I'm so glad that you're part of our community. It's wonderful. Wow, that is so cool. You've really made our day, Natalie. You really have. Love it. Yeah, so cool. And if anyone else has 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever, please do. We'd really love it because it really does help us in the rankings. All right. Now, we have some other news this week, don't we, Al? Um, Oh, we do. (laughs) 
I don't know. I'm I don't sorry. know what Al was doing then. Al, Clearly, Al, my yeah, this, we're really so holding many, her attention. I'm so sorry. Al's got so many tabs open, both on her computer and in her mind, that she was not not actually active at all. We, Valerie, are off yes. to the Squibby Conference in 2019. Yes. February 2019, to be precise. We are going to be going there. We are going to be talking about, um, what are we talking about? We are going to be talking about um, (laughs) how to make yourself more marketable as a writer and sell more books. And it's a 50-minute Val and Al fest where we talk about all the steps that you can take to build your platform. So we better talk about what the Squibby Conference actually is. It's the the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, uh, the Australia, East and New Zealand uh, branch are having a Sydney conference. Um, it's going to be an absolutely massive thing. Uh, they, they do it every two years and it's a really wonderful, good. wonderful opportunity for Great. both published and aspiring authors of children's mm. fiction to get together, to meet each other, to chat, to go to all these fantastic um, sessions that they have. They have an illustrator showcase. They have manuscript and portfolio critiques. They have the conference itself. There's a dance and a dinner thing. I'm hoping Val will hit the dance floor because that will be entertaining. <laughs> for everyone and then they also have um some fantastic masterclasses that you can actually yeah. go to which are being held which are being um conducted by some pretty terrific people so um you know i'm just wrapped we got a gig really i don't know yeah and we're we're the opening keynote we are and it's yeah. going to be like it's the val and Al show it's the two of us <laughs> together which is always fun because we haven't actually done a we haven't done a session together for a little while have we but the last it's time we did while. was very fun Yes, definitely. So the way it usually works is that Val keeps me on track <laughs> and then I talk too much. It's pretty much how we roll, isn't it? <laughs> it's pretty fun, yes. Yeah. So we're looking forward to the Squibby Conference. If you are writing a children's book or illustrating a children's book, uh, make sure you check it out because even if we weren't there, Squibby is an awesome organisation, especially mm-hmm. for, you know, children's book writers and illustrators. And um uh, and the conference I went to it last time, and um, and it's it's always great. So we'll put the link and in we the have, show notes. We, yes, we'll put the link in the show notes. Let me just take that from you. And but also to say that we have talked many times on this podcast. I think you would you would actually you know agree with me. We have discussed many times the importance of getting involved in your industry if it's something that you want so to do. Important. Of going to these things, of meeting people, and I mean, um, you and I have discussed many times again that the importance of you know talking to like so obviously. If you spot us at the conference, please come and say hello because, you know, we love that. But also talk to the person next to you. Like talk to the other person sitting there in the class with you, in the whatever with you, because those are the people that are on the journey with you and those are the people that are going to be your people as you Mm -hmm. kind of go up through the the industry and as you get your book published and as you do all those things, they're going to be your gang and you need a gang. Everyone needs a gang. I mean, in the nicest possible way. I'm, I'm talking about a positive influence kind of gang. Yeah, for sure. And it's so important to do networking because um, another person that we have had on the show, Shelley Unwin, who is a graduate of the Australian Writers' Centre, she's done writing picture books and some other courses. She's and she's no doubt going to be at this conference, but it was at a conference of this nature that she was able to do kind of like a speed pitching session mm-hmm. and that's where she pitched her idea of her picture book which mm-hmm. then became reality and and you know it was at a conference like this so it's very important to get out there and not just hide behind your computer because this is where the magic happens often it does and th- give some serious thought to pitching your book they are having sessions mm-hmm. there's going to be where you can pitch to agents and publishers and stuff mm-hmm. and you know it's kind of overwhelming a little bit if you've never done it before but you know that it gets easier the more you do it and it's it's really like it's this is it this is the coal face you know this is this yeah. is how you jump the slush pile is these conversations so think about those things and also this conference actually got sold out last time so and, mm-hmm. and I don't know they've they've moved to a different venue so maybe it's going to be bigger I don't know but mm-hmm. um I wouldn't leave it too late yeah mm-hmm. if you're gonna go all right, so let's move on to you have a link for us. This is really cool. Author newsletters, the good, the bad, and the please just stop. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, I do. Now, this is from Kristen Lamb's blog and uh, it's authorkristenlamb.com. She does – the thing I love about her uh, blog, she calls herself an author, blogger and social media Jedi, which just makes mm. me laugh so much. Mm. But she um, she is very straightforward and, you know, I can you can see why I like that, right? You know, you can see that I've she's one of my people. She's very straightforward about her – the way she um, – the way she gives across her information and, and just, you know, her thoughts and things like that. She's a, she's a realist and this is, she's not a hard sell. Now she basically is talking about author newsletters in this post, which is called author newsletters, the good, the bad, and the please just stop. Um, you know, whether you need one, do they sell books? And then she says, does a human sacrifice help? You know, maybe. Um, but she, look, newsletters are a funny thing. Um, she has a reputation for hating newsletters, um, which is possibly founded, possibly not founded. Um, but as she says, she doesn't hate newsletters. Um, actually, she doesn't hate all newsletters. <laughs> but she thinks that they are a tool and that if you're going to do one, then you need to do it, you know, well. You need to actually mm. think. And one of the things that she talks about with this um with this particular post is the importance of deciding why you are having a newsletter. Why are you doing an author mm. newsletter? Because if you're doing a newsletter just because you think you should or because all your friends have got one or because, mm. you know, I don't know, like the, the tarot cards told you or whatever, um, you need to really think about it because a newsletter is like I am here to tell you having done my newsletter now for I don't know what, three years maybe more. Yeah, more, surely. Feels like forever. Feels like forever. Um, I am here to tell you that they, it's not, you know, like you you do, once you've worked out a format for them and you know what you're doing with it, um, it's not necessarily that it's a major time suck, but it is something else that needs to be done every month. And it becomes, it's becomes, it's on your to-do list. I mean, I send mine out on about the 15th of the month, every single mm-hmm. month, it's got to have, you know, something in it. You know, ideally, if you're going to send out a newsletter, there's some actual yeah. news to be had. Yes. So it, <laughs> it does, it is that. So you've got to decide, you know, you've got some decisions to make. If you're going to have a newsletter, you've got some decisions to make. You know, why are you doing it? What's going in this thing? How often are you going to send it? And then you've got to think about how you're going to get people to sign up to it. So it's a job, you know, you've only got 24 hours in a day, as Kristen says, and you've got to think about where you're going to put your time. And if you're going to put your time into a newsletter, you need to know why you're doing it. And it can't mm. just be because someone told you to do it or because, mm. you know, whatever. So it's it's an interesting thing. So I just am thinking um, about I wanted to ask you what about what your thoughts were on author newsletters. Because, you know, the Writers' yeah. Centre obviously has a weekly newsletter, but it's a slightly different situation because it's, I mean, and I love your newsletter because every single week there's a piece there written by Val that's, you know, inspiring or it's, you know, motivating or it's whatever. And then there's, you know, different sections which are pretty much the same each week with diff- but, you know, obviously when I say the section is the same, the content is different. Mm. Um, so that's a slightly different thing. Um, but I'm just wondering what your thoughts are for authors. Like, cause it's a, it's yeah. a, it's a brand exercise, but it's also a personal exercise if you're doing yeah. an author newsletter. Um, so I'm wondering what your thoughts are on author newsletters. Yeah. I think that you hit the nail on the head when you said, um, you need to know why you're doing it. Mm. And I think that that needs to be the center around any newsletter, whether it's the Australian Writers Center newsletter or an author newsletter or what it's some other newsletter. You need to know why you're doing it in the sense that with the Australian Writers Center newsletter, it is, as you've kind of touched on, the reason why we do it, it is to motivate and inspire aspiring and, uh, and established writers with yep. their craft. So that could be on mindset stuff, but it also could be on tools and, and resources that they may find useful. With an author newsletter, because the thing people struggle with the most is if they, they feel that their newsletter is selling something. Mm. Like 95% of people just don't know what to do with that. And that's mm-hmm. why I think it is important that, yes, of course, ultimately one of the reasons that you're doing something is to sell, but I think it needs to go a step above that. So, mm-hmm. for example, for some authors it might be I really want to, and it depends whether you're an adult author, a nonfiction author or whatever, right? So I'm just giving an example. Um, it For some authors it might be I really, the reason why I'm doing this newsletter is I really want to connect with 
my fans and give them an insight into my process. But if you don't want to give an insight into your process, that's fine. It might be I really want to, um, you know, motivate and inspire people that dreams can come true, whatever their dream is. It doesn't have to be writing, you see. Mm. So I think if you have that, if you go a level above just – I've been told that I want to, I should send out a newsletter and I want to sell more books. Books. Then, if you go a level above that, you have far you, you can um, have a far more powerful connection with your newsletter and motivation to actually write it rather than just shoving in a whole heap of news, which is interesting and should go in the newsletter. But I but but it, that can kind of like be a list at the at the bottom of the message, so to speak. Mm. So one thing that I'm noticing at the moment, because now I also, not only do I subscribe to heaps of um, author newsletters, but author newsletters are few and far between. They exist, but they, they, they're not sent out very frequently. That's mm. what I notice. So you can sign up. I, I've signed up to heaps of author newsletters, like obviously, because that's just, I'm in this space. But I don't actually get them that often, even from some of the, you know, um, bigger authors. So what I find, because I've now also signed up with a whole heap of artists' newsletters, is that there's a difference between the artists who, because with artists it's very visual, you can, you know, you can just, you can send photos of your art. There's a difference between the artists who are just selling, saying, here's my piece, it's available now. Here's my new piece, it's available now. Here's my other piece, it's available now, to those who... Sure, include that as as in the latter half of the newsletter, but who have a message that is, you know, the reason why they're connecting with people that is that goes beyond selling, and it, it and so I think you really nailed it when you said you need to figure out once you figure out this is what I want to share or this is what I think, um, this is like my higher calling in a sense, um, I think that that's when it really works. And you can change that higher calling. Oh, like- so this was going to be my next point because I was mm. just about to jump in there and say exactly yes. that. It doesn't have to stay the same all the time because yes. I think that that's, you know, like you figure out where you're at right now. Mine has changed so much over the years mm. because when I first started sending out a newsletter, um, it, it, the so my community is quite an interesting, you know, my Alison Tate community um, is quite an interesting one because I have um, obviously uh, there's a lot of writers in my in my in my group, and then there's also over the years, obviously because my my uh, Mapmaker books and Adaban Cipher books have been out now for, or the first Mapmaker book came out about four years ago. Um, obviously, then I have also got um, you know readers who who follow because they love the books. They want to know when the next book mm. is coming out. They mm. want to know about the process of the books. So it's been it has actually been something that every single year I reassess and have a look at because yeah. and you, obviously you and I have had many conversations about this about this ba- delicate balance between. Um, catering to the writers who are in my in my mm. um, in my uh, community as well as the readers because they are two different you know there's a lot of crossover I mean let's not get that yep. wrong there's a lot of crossover um, but there's also like the 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 reason I send my newsletter out has changed slightly over the years because um, obviously part of it has got to be book promotion and part of it has to be, and it's that selling that you talk about that obviously we all get so uncomfortable with. But the reality is that I am an author and I am a working author and I want more people to read and buy my books because that allows me to write more books and that allows Mm. me to be, um, it allows me the time to sit here and talk to you guys once a week about about Mm. writing and things like that. So you know, it's it's the it's the kind of thing where you you're constantly balancing that notion of of uh, servicing a community as well as servicing your own uh, your own you know requirements or whatever. Um, and it it is something that you do need to reassess on a regular basis. It's something that you need to look at. Am yeah. I doing the right thing by my community? Is this newsletter serving the purpose that I need it to serve? Um, and the other thing that I would talk about too, and it's something that Kristen talks about in her in her blog post, mm. is that people who talk about their newsletters and who have got thriving and successful newsletters, authors, um, mm. are also people who have a relationship with the people on their mailing list. 
And when I'm talking about a relationship, I'm saying that they have a blog, they go out, they talk to people, they use social media as well. They have a backlist of books or whatever that they're doing, but there's a, it's, there's a personality and a personal relationship going on between them and the community. So it's not just, you know, because, you know, I I obviously also sign up to lots of author newsletters because I'm fascinated by what, and this is something I recommend. If you are an aspiring author or if you are an author considering a newsletter, sign up for lots of newsletters. Have a look at what other people are doing. Take the bits that you like and, you know, start Mm. to think about how you might be able to use those bits for a newsletter that is yours because it has to be yours. It's got to be you talking, you doing your thing, whatever your thing is. Um, So, you know, it's those, the people who do it well are people who you feel like you already have a connection with. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Mm. And that kind of leads us into our next topic um, uh, about author personas, doesn't it, Al? Oh, yes. So uh, this the author persona uh, thing I wanted to discuss with you is uh, it's a post mm. on the creativepen.com. Now, Joanna Penn is someone that we interviewed many, many moons ago. Um, she is an indie uh, author and publisher and she writes a terrific blog. Um, you know, she has Very a good. really comprehensive website with a whole bunch of different stuff. She has a podcast. She is like the queen of all of the things as far as, you know, indie publishing mm. is concerned. And um, she wrote this great post. Oh, I think it's actually a, uh, it might actually even be a guest post. Yeah, it's a guest post. Um, but it's called uh, Creating an Author Persona for Interviews and Live Events. And, you know, it talks about the fact that, you know, we have, um, the, the opening line is writers are chameleon creatures. We inhabit different skins when we write and we play different characters in the world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, which is quite true. Um, mm. But she talks about, you know, and, and this this kind of goes back to a discussion we had a couple of episodes ago about the authorial jacket or the authorial blazer. Yes. You might remember we talked about that, um, you know, where I talked about the fact that, you know, when you have to go and do presentations and things like that, you, you know, I, I put on the authorial jacket or the authorial blazer as my son calls it. And, hmm. you know, and, and I – put AL Tate on with that, if you know, if you understand what I mean. I put Alison mm. Tate, the author in the world, on with the blazer, so to speak. Um, I don't yes. always wear the blazer, by the way, just so that you know. <laughs> um, but it's it's just that notion of, of doing that. I, I remember when my son uh, first started performing as a musician, um, you know, when he was about 13, he, he used to wear a hat, like he used to wear this little kind of, you know, trilby thing or whatever it was, and it was almost like he put – Joe Visser performer on with that because off stage he's quite an he's a very introverted sort of character and it Mm. always astounded me that he could therefore then get up and sing in front of you know a thousand people um at 13 whereas but it was sort of like almost like he put the hat on and then he was he was someone else and that was good you know um but this particular post talks about you know finding your you know authorial persona, basically, your author persona. So you want to try and keep it as close to your real self, like you want to keep it as close to your real self, but the public you might be cheerier and more upbeat. I mean, I know the public me, you know, is not generally fair to middling. The public me is actually... The public me is actually fairly excitable. It's probably closer to Val than it is to Al, you know what I'm saying. You know, it's it's that kind of thing. And you make conscious decisions about what your public persona will talk about. Like online, I, I rarely get into politics. I rarely get mm. into it. Like it's really only if it's got something to do with, you know, there's a campaign at the moment to try and keep – uh, to try and keep teacher librarians in school libraries and to try and keep school libraries in schools because they're closing mm. them and that is mm. something I will get involved in. Do you know what I mean? But, you know, yes. like at the end of the day, my politics um, are my business and so yes. I don't tend to get involved. I, I very, very seriously avoid stouches on social media about everything. Um, and yep. it's not that I don't av- that I avoid the discussions because I do have those. I have those, you know, mm. with my friends and at home and stuff like mm. that, but I am not going to have them as part of, you know, my daily social media interaction. It's just not where I roll. No, it's not the place Um, for it. Yeah, and then you sort of talk about, you know, like it's so – anyway, 
she talks um, in this post, it, it talks about, you know, how to create your author persona. And it, like, I really loved point four, which was have a special wardrobe that you save for author yeah. effects. <laughs> Use your so regular true. wardrobe, but make it a little bit more fun. And yeah. hence we have authorial blazer. So yeah, yeah. I think it's, um, it's worth having a read if you, if it's something that, you know, struck a chord with you when we talked about it a couple of episodes ago, it's, it's a bit of a how to on how to do yeah. it. So it's, definitely worth um, having a read on thecreativepen.com and we will, of course, put the link in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I think it makes a lot of sense. And for anyone who's listening to this and thinking, oh, but I don't want, I, I can't be inauthentic, we're not asking you to be inauthentic. No. You need to be completely authentic. We're not saying to fake it. We're not saying to put no, on no, a mask. not we're at not all. It's too hard any to do of that. Things. Yeah, oh, it's too hard it's to do impossible. that because – because you have to keep it up. And so that's yeah. not it. It's like you're going to be you, but you're mm. going to be the best version of you possible. You're mm-hmm. going to be you, but better, if you know what I'm saying. And you've got to yeah. think about the fact that you're in public. And you do, when you when you go to events and when you go to festivals, you are, you're representing yourself and your brand all the time. And you need yeah. to remember that. It's really important. Yeah. And I think it's also important that, um, um, it's, it, it's, uh, I think it's also important that you, because as Al said, you're doing the best version of you. You're doing the shiny version of you. And that's not being inauthentic. That's just, you know, being polite in a sense, because no one necessarily wants to see the other side of you. Yeah. Maybe some people do. Yeah, that's fine. But I think one important thing that it's really important for all creatives to be aware of, particularly if they want need to get out there and they're putting themselves out there. And I we, we mentioned this, I think, a few episodes ago, but it's worth saying again, um, because I feel so passionate about it. I, I, I can't really understand it when people are really in public, um, totally fine what you do with your friends and behind closed doors and and stuff, Um, when people are extremely negative about their career, about the industry, about, you know, that Mm. sort of thing, um, Mm. while they're on stage. Sure, if you are having struggles and challenges, as we all do, definitely – talk about it to in the right environment but mm. when something is going on the record and when something is you know being um, witnessed by hundreds of people because you're on stage or something I think it's I, I don't think you you lie I don't think you paint a rosier picture than what is necessarily happening in your life but I think that often people <clears throat> feel it cool to um, concentrate on the negative or feel it cool to bemoan uh, you know, the lack of support of creators in this country or, or that sort of thing, um, that, it, um, that it's not productive. It's just mm. not a productive conversation because when you f- – I truly believe that when you focus on the negative, it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. So, you know, if you want that to happen, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Val has spoken. <laughs> I think it's true. I think yeah. if all uh, look, you do it, is talk about, you know, how bad your sales are or whatever, it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. yeah, be circumspect. You don't have to give away details and you certainly don't have to give too much information. Like a, it's a, you know, like think about how much information you actually want to put out there because um, it's 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 not necessarily necessary for you to share every detail of your life. You just want to think about the four or five aspects of your life you're happy to share and go with those. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Cool. All right. Um, and, you know, and I will, there's just a caveat there. That's not to say that if you are finding challenging in, in any aspect of your life or writing or career, that you shouldn't then acknowledge that and take action to try and improve that. I'm saying dwelling on it will make it worse. Well, it will just certainly do so if you're doing it in public. Yes. Yes. That's right. All right. I, there's a whole seminar in this there's a whole session in this I I had no idea I was oh you do I had no idea I was putting a soapbox under you at that point (laughs) sorry I will stop now but we we can expand on that some other time but um this is probably not the time either all right so um let's move on then instead to our giveaway this week this is so cool this is such an awesome 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 book we have three copies of a picture book called Amazing Australian Women. 
to give away. <clears throat> and it is by Pamela Freeman, who is, of course, a presenter at the Australian Writers' Centre and our awesome Director of Creative Writing. It's illustrated by Sophie Beer. It's a bright and colourful look at 12 incredible Australian women who helped shape our country from politics and the arts to Indigenous culture, science and more. So there's a whole bunch of women in there who are just, you know, it's so good that A, these women are being celebrated, B, they're Australian, C, they're coming to an audience who probably wouldn't normally hear about them because Mm. they're from quite different walks of life. It's not just all about sport, you know. Um, So uh, I love this book. And um, it's it's very, very cool and it's a great gift for the young person in your life, mm. boy or girl. Mm. And uh, if you want to uh, have your chance for a copy to win, then go to writercenter.com.au slash win. That's writercenter.com.au slash win. And now we have some exciting news. We're thrilled to announce that the hotly anticipated real estate copywriting course is now available. You may remember Dean Koury co-hosted the podcast with me this year and shared his top tips for getting paid to write about property. Dean has bundled his years of experience as a real estate copywriter into a powerful online course, giving you the skills to get paid to write about homes from home. It's a huge area of opportunity for copywriters or anyone looking for a side income. You'll make the course feedback in one or two listings. Real estate copywriting is available right now at a special launch price. Go to writerscentercomau slash real to grab it before 30 September 2018 at the special launch price. That's writerscentercomau slash real. All right, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? I am so ready. I'm braced. I'm braced. You and your big vocabulary. (laughs) Are you still going on about that? Even (laughs) after I threw a cannibal and accommodation at you? (laughs) Yes. So, okay, this word is a suggestion from podcast listener Hannah Davison. So thank you, Hannah. And it is pusillanimous. No. Oh, yeah. I don't know that one. Sounds like penicillin, but it's not. I don't know all of them. It's just that uh, there's been a few lately mm. that you've said, do you know this mm. one? And I say, well, actually, yes, I do. I could okay. lie if you want me to. No, no, don't lie. Okay. We um, just talked about right. that, didn't we? The importance yes. of being yourself in public. Yes. Okay, yes. so I don't know this one. Okay. So according to the Macquarie Dictionary, it means lacking strength of mind or courage, faint-hearted, cowardly. So Ooh. you might say the leader of the tribe was pusillanimous as he headed into battle. Mm. You could say that. You wouldn't you would. though. Would you? <laughs> <laughs> like really? Okay. But it yeah, is okay, a crack- so it's a cracking word. Well done. It's a good word. Yeah, I like it. All right. Let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Oh, this is so cool. I had such a ball talking to Margaret Morgan, whose novel is The Second Cure, and it's getting awesome reviews everywhere. And um, she is, oh, she's just such an interesting individual who has had so much, so many careers in life, as you'll discover in our chat. Um, She is also a graduate of our six-month Write Your Novel um, program. And this, in fact, was the book that she was working on during that program. And it's now hit the shelves and going really well. Yep. Let's have a chat to Margaret. I'll start. I'll say that again. (laughs) Let's have a chat to Margaret Morgan. Okay. (laughs) Margaret, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Valerie. Great to be here. Now, first and foremost, congratulations on the tour de force that is your debut novel, The Second Cure. Oh. Um, it, well done, you know. It <laughs> reads you. like it has been written by somebody who has been a novelist for years and years and years. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. Um, for readers who haven't read the book yet, though, uh, can you tell us what it's about? It's essentially about a plague that hits Australia and the rest of the world 
and it's affecting human brains. Now, half of the people seem to love it, half hate it for different reasons. Some people want to be infected, some people don't. And one of the effects that it has is uh, making people more politically left-wing um, and it takes away the religion in some people. It causes synesthesia in some people, which is a melding of the senses. So while some people see this as a sort of saving of society, others are horrified and so a schism develops. And my protagonist, who is a parasitologist, is trying to find a cure, but she is... Um, she is beset by doubts when she realises that some a lot of people, including her partner, who is a composer, uh, really, really love being infected. So it's um, a personal as well as a social uh, conflict. It's such an extraordinary premise, and yet as the story unfolds, it's just it, it's it's so believable. I think for a number of reasons, but I have to ask. How in God's name did this this premise come into your brain? It's so it's it's just so different. Well, I was studying biology at the time. Um, I went back to university and did a bachelor's in um, advanced biology at Macquarie University, and I was studying parasitology and came across this concept called host behavioural modification, where a parasite actually changes the behaviour and changes the brain of its host in order to ensure that it, its own survival is increased, the chances of survival are increased. So um, it just struck me as such an amazing thought, and it's quite common you know, among a lot of um, species, but I thought, wow, what happens if this happens to humans? What happens if a, a parasite changes the behaviour of the humans in order to ensure its own survival? And so that's what I did, and it just struck me as, you know, a great premise for a novel and, and an opportunity to explore all the sorts of things that I'm really interested in, like um, religion and politics and power dynamics and personal relationships. So it all just um, sort of fell into place from that point. It's got it all, hasn't it? I think that, though, even though it does uh, touch on those those themes of religion and power and politics and so on. It is essentially a very human story, and you don't have to be interested in those things or in parasites <laughs> to to get sucked into this story. So, what um, <laughs> you obviously you wanted to incorporate your interests, but a, apart from thinking, okay, this is this is a, a good premise for a for a novel. There's there's actually many layers of complexity in this novel. How did you then, when you decided you wanted to write a novel, decide where it was going to go and 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 how you're going to in, incorporate all of the things that you wanted to explore? Or did you just start writing and then see what happened? Oh, no, I very much plotted it out in advance. Essentially, the characters are all people who I used to explore different aspects of, of those themes um, so that the characters, you know, would, would – be personally affected, deeply personally affected in some cases by by both the parasite and the reaction to it so that I could explore the emotional underpinnings of the story really. You know, I mean, it, it might have been a nice little kind of what-if essay or something if I hadn't done that, but I'm, I'm interested in character. So, you know, I used those characters to, to dig deep into the emotional heart of the of the idea. Mm. Now, obviously, you're a plotter. Then you, you did you, when you say you plotted it out. Did you literally do it chapter by chapter, or did you, yes. you know, map out? You did, like from oh, before absolutely. you even started writing. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I'm, I, I've got a screenwriting background. Mm. Um, I wrote television for about fifteen years or so, TV drama um, shows like um, E Street and GP, Water Rats, Country Practice, and hmm. and that really taught me the importance of structure. And yes, and you, you and can't write that without you know having really structured it in advance. Okay, so, so let's delve let's delve a little bit into your background because you actually started off not as a writer at all, but you went into criminal law. Is that correct? That's right. Yes, that was my first career. <laughs> so, at what point, <laughs> when you were um, in criminal law, did you think, oh, I might now write? For water rats, <laughs> and how did that transition occur? Well, I've always loved writing. I mean, I've been writing since I was a child. You know, I was writing poetry and short stories throughout. You know, from about the age of five or something. Um, 
And I, it was always something I adored and I loved studying literature at high school. And then when I did my, went to university, I did a combined degree with a major in literature and the arts component. Um, so it wasn't as though I hadn't had a lot of, you know, experience in writing. And while I was being a lawyer, I was writing short stories as well, which were getting published in places like Mianjin. Mm. So, so I, it wasn't, you know, the, the fact that I decided I wanted to be a writer wasn't a new thing at all. But mm. I, when I was, when I was lawyering, I was just absolutely miserable. You know, there is something about the way that words are used in the legal profession, <laughs> which require absolute clarity, you know, pinpoint definitions. And yep. it, it, closes down the language as far as I'm concerned. I mean, people used to love my affidavits. They thought I wrote really good affidavits, but, you know, <laughs> writing a good affidavit is not <laughs> a very <laughs> high point in my life. <laughs> so, you know, I wanted to I wanted to explore meaning. You know, I wanted words to, to, to sing. I didn't want words to just be, you know, defined down to to death. <laughs> and, mm. and so I um I, I've just got more and more miserable. My then husband used, who was a composer and used to stay at home composing while I went off to the, to the law mines. Mm-hmm. And he, um, and he used to say I'd put on my suit and it looked like I was putting on a straight jacket, you know, and mm-hmm. I'd, I'd come home and after a few days off, the stories would start bubbling up, but then I'd have to push it all down and go back to being a lawyer and, you know, it just couldn't continue. So when I left, I, I had a friend who was working on a TV show that had a solicitor as one of the characters, but they didn't really know how to do law in the show at all. So I went in and um, was for a day and gave them a little bit of a seminar on on legal procedure and and terminology and sort of talked myself into a job as a legal consultant (laughs) with them. That's (laughs) great. Yeah, it was good. And that soon turned into doing, uh, you know, doing story editing and, and, um, script editing and, and eventually script writing. So after a few years, I went, um, I worked on a couple of shows and then freelanced. And so, yeah, it was great. Wow. All right. Mm. So did, did you, um, obviously you were interested in literature prior to that and you wrote stories, wrote short stories, but did you ever consider that you wanted to do script writing before that? Um, no, not particularly script writing, but once I got into it, I just loved it. It was so much yeah. fun. And at the same time, I was also writing librettos for music theatre, um, you know, sort of one-man opera kind of performances. Um, yes. and, and they went around the, you know, the major arts festivals and that was great fun. I really enjoyed that too. So that was, you know, getting a sense of writing for stage was also really, um, alluring. Now, being a scriptwriter is so much more of a collaborative process. And in fact, many moons ago, I spent some time in the script department of Water Rats as well over Ah. at Goat Goat Island. And um, (laughs) yes, what a fantastic office to have right in the middle of Sydney Harbour. And it was yes, getting the getting the ferry or the um, getting the Mm. water taxi to work. It was so much fun, So so lovely. And so it's it's. It is such a collaborative process because you have to collaborate with when you're on the other side of the fence, like a legal consultant or a policeman or a story editor and then the script editor and then you have to take the actors' acting um, abilities into account and, (laughs) you know, all this kind of stuff. Because writing a novel is way more solitary. Absolutely, yes. Was it hard for you to adjust when you were so used to, you know, working with so many people before? Uh, not really. I, I I mean, I think I'm one of those people who likes to be alone anyway, so it didn't do me any harm at all to be solitary. But the um, actually the Australian Writers' Centre came into its own for me there because I, I did the course here, the Write Your Novel course, after I'd written about 30,000 words, and yep. that allowed me, you know, to to well not to collaborate but to get feedback from other people and it was yeah. it made a big difference. And writing a a novel is also a much longer process than writing a script. Oh yes, um, <laughs> yeah, especially for episodic TV. Mm. Um, so um, when you first started writing your novel, did you think did you give yourself a time frame or or 
Or did you kind of know what was in store for you? No, I had no idea. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I did give myself a number of time frames that were just insanely unrealistic <laughs> because uh, I thought, oh yeah, I should be able to get this draft finished by the end of the year. Why not? You know, but yeah, it's like, it's like climbing a mountain. It is just the hugest job. And, and even when you think you're at the top of the mountain, suddenly you realize, oh, actually, no, no, there's another draft needs to be done here. And, um, you know, oh, I should go and get rid of that character. So, you know, it's, uh, it's a massive process and and obviously if I had my time over I'd still do it because you know I've got published and it's doing nicely but I honestly if I hadn't been published if I'd finished it and and you know just kind of it, it sank without a without a trace I think it would be very hard to tell my former self to do it because it, <laughs> it, it's really it's a massive job and there's no promises at the end you know well, yeah, that's right. But obviously, if you write a good novel, your chances are, are increased. So, what was useful about getting feedback? Um, some people, some people actually don't want feedback. I, I know that no. there are some writers who are too scared to have feedback, or think that it's actually going to be fine, and all they need is the feedback from the editor. So, you obviously got feedback from um, the other people in the Write Your Novel course, as well yes. as. Um, as well as uh, the presenter. So yes. what? how useful was that and what impact did it have on your, on your writing? I think that one of the best things I learned from that course was learning how to critique other people and taking those skills and applying them to myself um, and to yes. my own work. You know, things like, like pacing and structure and characterization and point of view and voice you know those sorts of things are um you know, those real craft issues and you, you're taught in that course how to apply them to other people's work and inevitably that teaches you how to do it to your own so yeah not everything that everybody said to me was was right but you kind of when you hear the ones that are right and some little bell goes off in your head and you think yeah that's it that's the way I should be going here you know and and the the presenter of the course was particularly good on on one or two character points, and so that that really did help. And it it's left let me sort of set off after that course with a much clearer idea of where I wanted to go with the manuscript. Yeah, so it's a six month course, and I think you've hit the nail on the head that the it, people underestimate how incredibly valuable it is to critique other people's work because then you're looking at it from that perspective and mm. suddenly you can see the structural holes or you can yes, see what exactly. doesn't work and that immediately makes that a much more innate skill for yourself. So this book, you it, it unfolds quite, um, I, I can already see it as a movie. Now that must <laughs> come from your from from your script writing background. Did you, what principles of script writing did you then apply or overlay into your creative process for this novel? Look, I think I see in scenes. I think I write in <laughs> scenes, um, you know, and I, I'm not sure I could do, I could write in any other way. I, 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 I have a kind of a sense of the dramatic shape of each mm. chapter that I'm writing and, and that's stuff that I guess has just become ingrained from screenwriting. Um, and the other yeah. thing is dialogue, you know. I mean, I, I love writing dialogue and and I think that um, it's that the, the skills that I learned from that, you know, I didn't sort of consciously carry it through, but I think it's just, you know, become innate. Mm -hmm. And and so, yeah, that's that's why I think a lot of people read it and think, oh, yeah, I can see this as a, as a miniseries or a, a movie. Yeah, absolutely, a miniseries, absolutely. So tell me, um, can you give me, cast your mind back, um, because the book is out now and doing incredibly well, um, cast your mind back to give me some time time signposts, you know, some time frames as to when you started, um, when you finished your first draft, um, when you got the deal um, with the with the publisher. Can you just give me a little bit of a time frame? Yeah, uh, the first idea of it came to me about five years ago when I was. I was working as a sessional tutor in ecology and I was away on a field trip and up at Smith's Lake on the, on the New South Wales coast. And I, it sort of just, you know, came to me one evening, <laughs> one of those moments. Um, 
And so I started tinkering with it then, and I guess it was about maybe six months later that I did the course um, at the Writers' Centre. So, and then I, you know, at that point I had, um, you know, a few a few tens of thousand words. Um, when I finished the course, I hadn't quite finished the first draft, but I did shortly after. And I'm, I'm a bit unusual in, well, when I say the first draft, I'm the kind of person who can't really just fling off a draft and then come back and edit it. I tend yeah. to edit, edit as I go and mm. I feel really uncomfortable if I've left a, left the last chapter, and you know, messily. So yeah. I, I get quite anal about the whole thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, so by the, um, yeah, by the time that I, I got a manuscript, you know, some, Oh, I guess for about um, eighteen months ago, I got the manuscript to the stage that I figured it was ready to be seen yeah. by the world. Um, you know that it was kind of a, it was almost like finishing the first draft at the same time, except that you know, yeah, like I say, it was a very bitsy process for me. It was kind of back and forth and all over the place. So, um, and then it it all happened incredibly quickly. Actually, I. I I saw Lex Hurst, who was was a publisher with Penguin Random House, at a um, a, a day long speculative fiction festival, and she was on one of the panels. And afterwards, I I oh, I was so I was so bold. <laughs> I can't quite believe I did it. <laughs> and I I just marched up to her and said, "Listen, I've got a manuscript that I think might suit the sort of thing you're looking for," because she was talking about the kind of stuff she wanted, and it did seem like my manuscript might fit. And so she said, "Yeah, sure, send me, send it to me." So I sent it to her, and I remember saying to friends, "So how long do you reckon it'll be before I hear back from her?" But in fact, it was three days, and she'd read wow. hundred, she'd read a hundred pages and said, "I want to meet for coffee." So we did, and within a couple of weeks after that, it was all signed up, and yeah, it was happening. Brilliant, and absolutely I was, brilliant. I know. I, I still can't believe it. And I really, literally, can't believe it. I, I see reviews <laughs> now, and I and I don't even believe it's my novel. How could that happen? <laughs> So talk me through the actual writing process. When you were in the thick of it, writing it, Mm -hmm. when it was coming, you know, out of your brain, talk me through, did you have a routine? Did you have to fit it around anything else or were you able to focus on it full time? No, I very much had to fit it around other things. I I was um, looking after family members with multiple health issues at the time. Um, and so I was, I was unable to work outside the house. So I was kind of using the writing as my escape, my emotional escape as much as anything. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously that meant that I could only write when I could find the time. And there were days, you know, weeks when I wasn't doing anything and other, other, other times when I had, you know, a good 12 hours that I could throw myself into it, you know. So it was very bitsy. Um, and, no, I'm, I'm not one of those people, you know, who gets up at eight and has a cup of tea and, <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, sits at their just-so desk. No, that's not me. <laughs> so if it was bitsy, how did you um, – did you have any sort of milestones that you wanted to reach or any certain goals, word count goals or anything like that? Um. Or did you not care when you were going to finish it kind of thing? Well, I, all I wanted was to finish it when I could. That's really all it came down to. You know, I, I didn't have a sort of sense of I've got to have, you know, X number of words written by X date um, apart from, you know, the vague aspiration of getting it finished. Um, so, no, no, I, I just, yeah, it wasn't plausible in the way that my life was running at that time to think in those terms. So, yeah, I just got it done when I could. So after. Um, the publisher came back to you and you got the deal very quickly. Did it go through another heavy or, or not heavy editing process? Like how much more work was needed? It, I wrote a fair bit extra actually. I, I wrote another um, oh, 20,000 words I think in total afterwards Um and and I didn't lose anything, which was great. So it was more just developing one of the characters in particular further and 
tightening up the 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 tension towards the end you know making sure that the, as it reached the the climax that all the characters had had were in jeopardy in one way or another you know and it had a kind of momentum um i'm told it was a light edit but you know i don't know i have never had an edit before so it's a bit hard to compare <laughs> but um but yeah i was told that it was it was not a big one and um but you know it was intense it was an intense process but fortunately you know lex hurst is just such an amazing editor she is so incisive and gentle and she really really understood what i was trying to do so we were mm. completely you know working as a team and it was great now after you did criminal law and then went into script writing at some point you decided oh I'm going to do a bachelor's degree in advanced science in biology, studying plant science, genetics, and parasitology. Yes. Where in the world did that come from? That's an, it's another ancient passion, you know. I, I was I loved biology ever since I was a child. I, I I was um you know I was a little geek with the microscope looking at the stuff I found in the bottom of the pond. Um, <laughs> when I was a child. And so I did all the science I possibly could at high school. You know, I did wow. physics and chemistry and biology and just loved it. And, you know, really I was very, very close to studying science instead of law when I finished. Um, and, you know, over the years I just, oh, I'd, I'd read my new scientist and Scientific American go off and do short courses on, on you know, physics and stuff. But you know, it just, it was never enough. And I, I just had this ancient hankering. And so when my daughter was born 21 years ago, I, I started, um, and television actually at that point was pretty drear. There really wasn't much good stuff to write. So I, I had a bit of a career change then and went into horticulture and started studying at TAFE. And it was wonderful. And, and then what did I got you study at TAFE. Horticulture, plants. Oh my it goodness. Was, it was great. It was lovely. And at the same time, we'd moved, you know, up to the bush north of Sydney and I was getting right into the national, into the native plants and, and, you know, getting to understand the ecology there. So I, after that, I got an internship at the New South Wales Herbarium, which is part of the, um, Royal Botanical Gardens. Mm. And, um, and I was working there on, on curating mosses and I worked for a while in the plant pathology lab and it was just the best place. And, you know, at that point there was just no alternative. I just had to do some science formally, you know, I had to go and get a degree because I was loving it so much. So I, and honestly, I wasn't really doing it in terms of thinking this is going to be my career from now on. It was much more, I'm just going to do this thing that I've wanted to do all my life and get a science degree. You were doing it out of interest. It was not because you wanted to become a scientist. Like. Yeah, although I was, you know, I was working in science. Right, when I yes. was there, I was researching, you know, and I got an, a scientific paper written and and right. um, I was working, you know, doing some great experiments on, you know, native Australian rices and the effect of climate change on them and things like that. So um, <laughs> it was it was really fun. It was great. You know, so, what that, other secret career have you got? Lay it on me. Just, just, <laughs> t- just, just tell us. Come on. I know clearly you're a Renaissance woman of some nature. So, there's something else. Go on. You've oh, you got okay. a doctorate and something. I'm secretly happened. a spy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a varied and eclectic um, background, um, and and so much study. You must love it. Oh, I do. I do love studying. I love, I'm just intensely curious about the world. Yes, you know, I just yes. adore it. I love research. I love, I love learning about stuff. It's so much fun. So what but, are you studying now? Well, this is the thing. Now that I'm a novelist, I, I can do anything. I, yeah. I'm just so excited because it means that, you know, a blank piece of paper now for me means the universe. I can write anything I want to. May not get published, but I can do it, and um, and it's it's just the best thing, you know. I felt like this novel was a culmination in so many ways of my different, you know, life experiences. But so the next one will be, and the one after that, you know, it's there's just so much um, so much room there now for me to to just explore, and and I love synthesizing knowledge, you know. I love the idea of 
of taking knowledge and, and ideas from a whole range of disparate areas and combining them in interesting ways. You know, that's the essence of creativity, really, I think. And it's great fun. So, yeah, so I'm really excited about it. You obviously love research and um, you, I'm assuming, had to do a fair bit of research for this novel because it kind of all, you couldn't have all retained all of that from your studies. <laughs> but, or maybe you did. But well, I think I did mainly, yeah. Oh, <laughs> my so. God, wow. Well, you know, all right. Stuff that I was learning and reading about anyway. You yeah, know, all sure. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... With your research process, let's say your next novel and you need to research whatever it is, do you have a, a system for research? Do you kind of just read and go down all the rabbit holes and retain that information or are you a compulsive note taker that has things in really neat piles? How does that work for you? A little bit of both, really. I I certainly like a, I like a good rabbit hole. I really like sort of <laughs> seeing where where something will take me. And, you know, it might, it might end up going nowhere, but it might take me to an idea that's really going to work, you know. Um, and yeah, I'm, I, I, you know, I use Scrivener and I keep my files on there and I, I make sure that I've always got a record of the ideas that I've got. And, mm. you know, for like places that I'm, I'm setting stuff, I will take photographs or will find photographs of places on, on Google, um, Street View. And put them on and, and, you know, just so that I can kind of immerse myself in the world that I'm creating and which is what I'm doing currently. You know, I've got um, the next novel is, is set in Australia as well as overseas. And so I'm working very hard to get my, my sense of place working with that. How far into you, how, how far into the novel are you? I'm still, I've started writing, but it's still early days. You know, it's mainly, um, thinking about character and thinking about plot points at this point. But I, you know, I've just, I've, I've got the, I've got the general shape worked out in my head and I know where it's going to end. What so. was the best, what was the most challenging thing about writing this book? Oh, gee, what would it be? I think it's probably just the sheer volume of work it entails. You know, mm. the fact that you've just really got to be committed to do it. And there are times when you don't want to write, but you know that if you don't want to write, it's not going to get written. So you've just got to do it. You know, you can't, you can't wait for some kind of mystical muse to come and tap you on the shoulder. You yes. just have to get down and do it. You know? I suspect that you have no problem with discipline considering all of the things that you've studied and achieved so far. Um, <laughs> what, um, uh, what was the, the, best or most or unexpected thing that came out of this process oh having penguin random house say yes <laughs> well apart from that <laughs> apart from that obviously <laughs> um gee i don't know i i i guess it's simply the fact that i did it i mean that's the thing that i still can't mm. quite believe it you know and 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 the fact that people seem to really like it is just mm. so exciting and and unexpected you know it's yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still in shock, as you can tell. Well, we're going to circle back and have another conversation when the miniseries comes out, I tell you. <laughs> um, and I, I think maybe you should make, write a novel based on the inner workings of your brain because I think it would be endlessly fascinating. <laughs> All right. Um, and finally, what would be your top three tips for aspiring writers who'd like to be in the position you are one day? Oh, okay. Well, I think first off, you would you should read. You should just read and read and read and read across genres. Don't don't just read in the genre that you are writing in because mm. that's going to limit you. I think you need to, you know, read the classics, get understand what story is from a whole range of different um, authors and genres. Um, so that would be one. The other is, well, like I say, don't wait for the muse. Don't, don't mystify the process. You know, it's basically writing is, is partly obviously it's talent, but most of it is just hard work and accepting that if you go to do this, you've got to commit to it and you've got to just keep going, you know, no matter how hard it feels at times. And the other one, what would the other one be? I think the other one would, would be, Find a community. Um, you know, I found yeah. my community through this course and, and I, I, 
and also through, I went to Varuna afterwards to, I uh, got a fellowship to go there after I finished the course here. And, and I found another community there, you know, and those writing communities are so supportive and wonderful and you don't feel alone. And that's important when you are alone as a writer. Wonderful. Well, congratulations on the book and thank you so much for your time today, Margaret. Thank you. There you go, Margaret Morgan. I'm fairly much in awe of her incredible list of accomplishments. <laughs> like, wow. Wow. I know. How many careers can someone have? How many degrees can someone have, right? So, yeah, fantastic. And what a great job she's done with The Second Cure. Yeah. So, this brings us to the end of this week's episode. What's happening with you, Al? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Okay, good. I, I, you know, I really want to have a fabulous response to this, but I have absolutely no idea because, you know, you do realise, Val, and let's all just take a moment to take a deep mm-hmm. breath here, mm-hmm. but the school holidays are coming. Oh. I know. Mm-hmm. They start um, obviously next week and it's it's kind of, um, yep, I'm, yep. I'm, so I don't know what I'm doing. I'm okay. trying to get a, a thousand things done in the next two days or three days and then I'll be – you know, just braced, braced. Right. I'm bracing for the word of the week and I'm bracing for the school holidays. <laughs> I am just, I just want you to picture me in a plane in the brace <laughs> position, just like on my, on my way down basically. <laughs> oh no. Oh my God. Okay. Well, I like school holidays because the roads are a lot clearer. You like them and the boys across mm-hmm. the road go away. Yes, and they do. Yeah. We have this conversation every, like every sort of 10 weeks we go, I go, oh, it's school holidays. And you go, yay, it's school holidays. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, that's, yeah, that's coming up. In the meantime, um, I know what I'm doing, unlike you. I am going to Australia Post because, first of all, have you been to an Australia Post lately? It's actually really quite fun because it's like Aldi. Really? I'm there every second day. Oh, yeah, because you have a post office box, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I don't go every second day. And it's like Aldi where, like, this so the most random things are sold at the post office. I the know. most random. And so it's always quite a, like a bit of a lucky dip. Anyway, my lucky dip yesterday was, because I have a soda stream. I love my soda stream, not sponsored. And um, I <laughs> Hash, found. Hashtag, not sponsored. <laughs> yeah. I found at Australia Post they sell they they can swap the gas bottles but also they sell the bottles and I'm missing some bottles at so, Soda Street. Sorry, what at the Australia at Post? At Australia Post, I know. So I'm like, oh, okay, I'll buy them along with my box that I needed to buy to package something. And um, this is the thing, for goodness' sake, Soda Stream is learning from Apple. You know, every time you buy a new Apple computer, the plug doesn't work anymore. Your old electrical, you know, the plug doesn't work anymore because there's there, that's their version of built-in obsolescence. Then you've got to buy oh, yeah. all these new adapters and stuff like that. Well, yeah. the bottles that I bought from Australia Post don't fit in my Soda Stream, so I have to go and return them. I know that's the most exciting story to tell on this podcast. I, I, I was, yeah, okay. So what? That's the sum total of what you'll be doing for the next week. I think mine was better than that. What? I can't get past that. I have to like go back get, and I, what? I just can't believe that we spent five minutes discussing Sorry. your Australia. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Sorry, it's we're obviously not, on my mind right get, now. We are not going to get sparkling reviews like we had at the top no. of this program if you continue no. to, you know, take okay. me down this road. Sorry, everyone. I will not talk about my Australia Post expeditions any longer. So where do we find <laughs> you online, Al? <laughs> You'll find me whimpering in a corner. No, uh, you will find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You will find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate, Alison Tate Writer. <laughs> Alison Tate Writer. Alison Tate Writer. And where will we find you, Val, apart from at Australia Post? Yes. 
apart from Australia Post, I will be online at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And please do connect with both of us in the awesome podcast listener group on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. You'll find the show notes at soyouwanttobearwriter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.